All right, if you would, please, keep your Bibles open there to the book of uh, Philippians chapter 1, please. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1. We've been doing a series of messages on God's wonderful salvation. <clears throat> I have to bear with my voice. I'm kind of struggling with it this morning. <laughs> this is part three, talking about God's wonderful salvation. And uh, we talked about last week how salvation is a work of God and how he works in us to bring about his will and good pleasure in our lives. And we want to talk about the believer's present salvation. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about uh, what does it mean to believe in Christ. And last week, we talked about God's workmanship, that our salvation is what God does in us. It's not something we bring about, but God himself brings about. That when you look at a changed life that Christ does, that is God's workmanship. And so it talks about that here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We see here three aspects of the sinner's salvation. Three aspects of a sinner's salvation. Philippians 1, 6. Look at it again. Paul says, being confident. That means thoroughly convinced of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. Notice here three things about our salvation. First of all, the believer's salvation has a beginning. That happened when you trusted Christ. Whenever that time was, you understood the gospel and trusted Christ as Savior, God began to work. It had a beginning in the past. It said, he which hath begun a good work in you. Notice that work is a good work, but it's something God begins when you receive Christ as Savior. The next, the believer's salvation continues in the present. He said, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. So what God began when you trusted Christ, he's not finished yet. He's continuing to work in your life even now. Next, the believer's salvation has an ending, a conclusion. It one day will be complete. It said, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here's three aspects. So every believer can say, our salvation accomplished what Christ has done, is doing, and shall do in the future. But this morning, I'd like to talk about the believer's present salvation. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 5, please. Romans chapter 5, page 1586. If you came today and did not bring a Bible with you, please borrow one from me right in the seat in front of you as a copy of God's Word. And I'll be calling the page numbers for those that have using a church Bible. Many scriptures were turned together with other scriptures be on the screen, but I encourage you to use your Bible, but also in the bulletin there's notes, an outline you can take notes to go along with the sermon this morning, so please do that, and uh, hopefully get the most out of the message. I had a professor in Bible college, he said, repetition is theological mucilage, it means glue. The more you repeat something, the more you're going to remember it. He said, the more mud you sling against the wall, the more it's going to stick, So this morning, I will repeat myself quite a bit because I want you to remember what I want to share with you this morning concerning God's salvation. So please turn with me to Scripture. Please take notes, and please listen carefully. First of all, notice here, here it speaks of the believer's present salvation. Romans 5 and verse 10, please. Romans 5, 10. It said, "For For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son... Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice the first part of this verse speaks of the believer's salvation from the penalty of his sin. 
Now look up here, please. When you trusted Christ as Savior, you were saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Death. The wages of sin is death. And it says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In other words, the word reconcile it has the idea of bringing two opposing parties together. As a, the two parties here is a holy God of heaven and his enemies. Who are God, who are God enemies? Unbelievers. Basically, it said when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. In other words, these two people, two opposing parties, is a holy God of heaven and sinful man. And what's the problem between the two of them? It's called sin. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've offended God by our ways, our actions, and breaking his laws, commandments. So the sin is what separates us. Now, notice carefully, who reconciles who? God reconciles us to himself. We don't reconcile ourselves to him. He reconciles us to himself. So many religions today, even some Christian religions, has you doing something to bring yourself back to God. And they say, sin, sin is a problem. You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to change your life and change your behavior. And maybe you might be one day make it. Through that uh, idea, you're reconciling yourself to God. But the Bible says he reconciled us to himself by the death of his son. The problem being sin, what did God do with our sin? He took our sin and laid it upon his son when his son hung on the cross. The Bible said that he, God, has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, he bore our sin, his own body on the tree, and God punished him for what we've done wrong. He paid the debt for us. So God reconciles us to himself by the death of his son. Romans 5, 8, but God committed his love toward us, and that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. But next... Christ is presently saving us from the power of sin. Don't miss that now. There's a past aspect. He which hath begun a good work in you, God saved us from sin's penalty. But listen carefully, please. He's presently saving you from the power of sin. So every believer can say, I've been saved, past tense, from sin's penalty, but I am presently being sin, saved from sin's uh, power. Now, how does he do this? How does God presently save us from the power of sin? First of all, it's accomplished through his resurrected life. It's accomplished through his life. Go with me now to Romans 5, and look again in verse 10, Romans 5, 10. It says, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And notice the next two words, much more, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his what? When I first read that years ago, I didn't understand it. I said, wait a minute. I'm saved by his death. Yet this Bible says I shall be saved by his life. Now, both are true. I've been saved from the penalty of my sin uh, by his death. But I am presently being saved by his life. It says, shall be saved by his life. In other words, your salvation, listen carefully, please, is more than just a fire escape. How many are grateful that we have escaped hell by the death of Christ? 
we're all sinners. We all deserve to go to hell because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross is death for us. I've been saved from that fires of hell. But it's more than just a fire escape. It says, much more, you shall be saved by his life. So God's not finished. When he began, he will continue to do, and he will do that by his life. Here's what Warren Wearsby said. Paul's argument is this. If God did all that for us, why were his enemies? How much more will he do for us now that we're his children? We are saved by the Christ's death, but we also being saved by his life through the power of his resurrection, which operates in us. So that present salvation is accomplished by his life, but also achieved by his prayers. Achieved by his prayers. Hold your finger in Romans. Go now to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 7, page 1688. This present aspect of our salvation was accomplished is being accomplished by his life, but also being achieved by his prayers. Hebrews 7.25, please. Hebrews 7.25. And look what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, Wherefore he, to my God, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. Notice, seeing that he what? Then say, seeing that he died, but seeing that he ever liveth and maketh intercession for us, for them. My friend, one way your present salvation is, is happening because Christ is praying for you. You know, when I had my heart attack, I received hundreds of letters from you saying you're praying for me. And boy, I'm so grateful. Don't quit. Keep praying. But I'm so grateful for the comfort that brings but to know that there's somebody in heaven praying for me. His name is Jesus. Amen. And said he's making intercession for us uh, and helping me to save me from the very power of my sin. Now, if you would please go back to Romans. This time, look in chapter 8, verse 34. It tells us again that Jesus is making intercession for us. Romans 8, 34, page 1591. Romans 8, 34, please. Again, speaking of Jesus Christ, look what it said here, Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for it. So this present salvation is being accomplished by his life and also achieved through his prayers. But I want you to notice a word there in Romans 8, 34. It said, Jesus Christ, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, who else is praying for us? Who else is in heaven praying for the believer? I'm glad you asked. Look in verse 26, please. Look in verse 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So there's two persons in heaven, two parts of the Godhead that prays for me and you, the Son of God and the Holy Spirit of God. They're both praying for you. 
Why? Why is intercession being made in heaven for you and I as believers? Again, I'm glad you asked. First of all, because of our human weaknesses. Because of our human weaknesses. It says right there in verse 26 of chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That means weaknesses. In other words, you and I have many weaknesses that hinder our walk with Christ. We have temptation of sin. We have areas of our life we struggle with. And notice there's somebody in heaven praying for you that will help you. The word help has the idea of someone helping carry another heavy load. Just the other day, I had a bunch of stuff in my car that I was going to bring into my office. And I was walking with two arms full. And one of our teenagers that was weeding outside the church office dropped the weed and come over and said, Pastor, let me help you. Well, what a blessing that was. They helped me carry that heavy load. My friend, the Christian life, it's not easy. Especially when you get older, there's the load of physical problems you have. There's somebody out there praying for you. They come alongside you and help you with that load. It says, because of our human weaknesses, the Son of God and the Spirit of God prays for us. But another reason we have intercessory prayer in heaven for us is because we still sin. How many agree with that? Now that you're saved, we still sin. In 1 John chapter 2, the verse beyond the screen says this, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is a legal term. has the idea of one who pleads another cause before a judge, a counsel of defense, a legal assistant, like a defense attorney. In other words, when we sin, uh, he pleads on my behalf. Well, the question is, why is there a defense attorney in heaven for me, for us as Christians? Why? He, the reason why? Because we have an accuser. We have an accuser. And that's the third reason he prays for us, because of human weakness, because we all still sin, and because of our accuser. So who's that? Go to Revelation 12, please. Keep your finger in Romans, Revelation 12. To help accomplish my present salvation, Christ accomplishes that by his life and achieves it through his prayers. He's in heaven today praying for us because of our human weakness, because we still sin, and because we have an accuser, an adversary. In Revelation 12, look in verse 7, please. Revelation 12, verse 7. I encourage you to read this more on your own time. But the truth I'm going to get across, there's someone who accuses us before God. Revelation 12, 7. It said, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was a place found any more in heaven. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and was cast out into the earth, with his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation, strength and, uh, of the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. Notice here, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them, before God, day and what? Look up here, please. As a believer, we have somebody in heaven praying for us. Why? 
because of our weaknesses. Also, we still sin. And when we sin, somebody brings that attention to God. Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. How often? Day and night. Now, when I first read the scripture, it, I was confused. It talks about, and by the way, this is yet future, when Satan himself is cast out of heaven. Now, I thought Satan was cast out when he first sinned. Yes, he was. He lost his position. Prior to salvation, the Bible says he was called the anointed cherub, which hovered over the throne of God. And there he served the Lord. But because of pride, he was cast out. It means he cannot dwell there anymore. However, he does have access to heaven. We know that in the book of Job. He accused Job. Remember that? In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it said, There was a time when the sons of God came before the throne of God, and Satan was among them. And a conversation began between God and Satan about Job. And God says, Satan, have you considered my Job? There's none like him. A righteous, perfect, upright man. And Satan responded by saying, doth he serve you for naught? Take away his blessings and he'll curse you to your face. In other words, he accused Job of serving God for the blessings. But basically, he's the accuser of the brethren. My question is, what does he accuse you of? Remember, we all still sin. And no doubt, he brings that to God's attention. He's the accuser of the brethren. For example, maybe I use myself. When I sin, he may go to the throne of God and say, hey, the pastor of First Baptist Church, look what he's doing. He's sinning. And the Bible says, your word says, the soul that sinneth, it must what? Die. But somebody speaks on my behalf. His name is Jesus. He may say, yes, David sinned, but I paid for that sin. I died in his place and paid for his sin, was buried and rose again. He, the prisoner is set free. My friend, Jesus is in heaven to make your present salvation successful. Because of your weaknesses, because you still sin, and because of our accuser in heaven. Number three. Now let's look at the objective. We saw the salvation of the sinner is the work of God. It has a past aspect, a present aspect, and future aspect. We saw the believer's present salvation achieved through the prayers of Christ and his life for us. Now we're going to look at the objective of the believer's present salvation. What is God trying to accomplish? Now listen carefully, please. The first aspect of our salvation, he which hath begun a good work in you, that aspect was accomplished and finished at the cross. When the last thing Jesus said on the cross was what? It is finished. That means paid in full. He saved me from my sin, the penalty of my sin, by his death on the cross. That's taken care of. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Now, therefore, there's no condemnation to them than in Christ Jesus because Christ was condemned in our place. However, he didn't stop there. Much more now, he saved me from the power of my sin. Sin wants to control me and uh, dominate my life. And he wants to help me with that. But the goal, so now he's in my, what are you trying to accomplish with this salvation? The present aspect. aspect. First of all, the God's goal is to make us like his son. This present aspect of your salvation, his objective, his goal, is to make you just like Jesus. He wants you to be like the Son of God. Now go to Romans chapter 8, please, and verse 28. Probably the, one of the most popular verses in the Bible, Romans 8, 28, page 1590, please. 
this present aspect of salvation that God's working in us to do, the goal, the objective is to make you just like Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 28, it says, For we know that all things work together for what? Good. To them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. What a wonderful truth that is. That no matter what I go through in life, whether it be good or bad, happy or sad, God is able to take it and work it together for my what? Now the question is, what is the good? What is the good that all things are working together for? Read the next verse. It says, the next verse, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. The word conform means fashion like unto. Image means likeness. So the good that all things work together for in my life is that one day I might be just like Christ. That's the good. That's the goal, the objective of the present salvation. And by the way, this goal will ultimately be achieved when Christ returns. Look at the verse on the screen. In 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we what? Shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to talk about that next week. One day, believe it or not, I'll be just like Jesus. And you will too. But how many realize we're not there yet? How many say, I'm far from it now, Pastor? That's true of me. You don't believe me? Ask my wife. I'm far from it. But he's not going to quit on me. He's not going to give up on me. He's conformed me to the image of his son. One day that will be complete and done when Christ returns. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ when he returns. But he's still working. Still working on me. Now the question is, what tools did God use to conform us to his son? What is it that God uses in my life to make me like Jesus? Just this past week, I had a piece of wood. I was trying to shape it into something. And I, I had no way of doing it. So I called Pastor Rick, who has, does a lot of woodworking, and said, Pastor Rick, I need something to shape this piece of wood. And so he brought over to my house. He brought a little a table that had a vice-like grip on it. He brought over a rasp I could use on the wood. He brought an electric sander with all different grades of sandpaper, coarse and fine. And boy, did I get the job done when I had the right tools. You got the right tools, you can get the job done. My friend, the job the Lord wants to do in your life is to make you like Christ. What tools does he use? Again, I'm glad you asked. Let me give you three of them. Write them down, please. The first one, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, remember when you were saved, indwelt you. Your body become the temple of God. He's there to work and to do his good pleasure to conform you to the image of his son. Go with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, page 1626. Here's a verse that tells us that we're being shaped into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, please. 318. Thank you for turning with me. Thank you for looking in the scriptures. In verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it said, But we all, 
with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the what? Lord. Because on to say, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. How? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Others, when we look in the glass of Scripture and see how wonderful and glorious the Lord Jesus Christ is, and we focus on that, it says we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of God. Because of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, we are progressively being transformed into the likeness of Christ from glory to glory. Christ-likeness is the goal of this present salvation. So the first tool God uses is the Holy Spirit. Number two, the second one is spiritually gifted men. Spiritually gifted men. Go with me now to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians 4, page 1647. Ephesians 4. It tells us that the Holy Spirit gave gifts, spiritual gifts unto men and sometimes women to conform believers to the image of Christ. Spiritually gifted men. Ephesians 4, verse 11, please. Ephesians 4, 11. And he, knows here, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and what? Teachers. So these are spiritual gifts given to men, and teachers can be given to women, to help conform us to the image of Christ. Look in verse 12. These gifts were given for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting means the equipping. The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Verse 13, here's the key verse. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a what kind of man? Perfect. The word perfect means mature. Spiritual maturity is equivalent to Christ-likeness. To the perfect man unto the measure of the statue and the fullness of Christ. So God has given spiritual gifts to the body of Christ, the church. As those gifts are being exercised in the church, God uses that to conform us to the image of his son. Christ has given gifts to the church, the body of Christ, to produce unity and knowledge so that we can become spiritually mature and more like Jesus Christ in all his fullness. The third tool the Lord uses, not only the Holy Spirit, spiritually gifted men, number three, biblical preaching and teaching. Biblical preaching and teaching. Th these are the men and women that are exercising their spiritual gift in the church. I'm so grateful God's blessed First Baptist Church with some great uh, gifted men and women. Men that teach the men, women teach the women, but teachers of God's word. And it says Colossians 1.28, I believe it will be on the screen, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Why? That we might present every man perfect, that means mature, in Christ Jesus. Now listen carefully, please. You know what that means? God uses three tools. There's more than that. I'm just going to focus on three today. The Holy Spirit in my life. He uses men and women that have been gifted to God, but also uses preaching. So what is my part? That I need to be under the teaching and preaching of God's word. I encourage you as a, a Christian, 
every time God's word is open in the church, you ought to try to be there. Because God's using that to conform you to the image of his son. You ought to be in Sunday school. You ought to be in Sunday night service. You ought to be in Wednesday night service. Because spiritually gifted men and women are there to teach you the word of God, using the tools of God to conform us to the image of his son. On Wednesday night, this Wednesday we're starting our summer Bible institute. You ought to be there. There's some great men there have been gifted by God to teach the truths of Scripture. And God will use that to conform you to the image of his son. God's goal is to make us like his son. The tool he uses is, is, is the Holy Spirit, gifted men, and biblical preaching. Now the question is, what's the key to this change? Remember this second aspect of our salvation Save me from the penalty of my, the power of my sin, excuse me. God wants to conform me to the image of his son. What's the key to that? What, on my part, Romans 12, 2. I believe the verse will be on the screen. Many of you know this verse. Romans 12, 2. Here's the key to this change, this transformation. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed. That means changed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word transform means a change to another form. The renewing trouble and renovation. Proverbs says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You are a byproduct. Your action behavior is a byproduct of what you think. So what God does to change us to be like Christ he begins to work on the inside and change the way we think about things. How we perceive things of life. He works to do that. And so being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how is that accomplished? Well, wrap it up here. Please don't miss this. This is basic Christianity 101. The first one, how is it accomplished? By reading your Bible every day. By reading your Bible every day. How many of you read your Bibles? How often do you do it? For years of my life, prior to going to the ministry, I read my Bible once a week. It was on Sundays as the pastor preached. When I went home, I set my Bible on the shelf, never opened to the next Sunday. So many of you do the same thing. My friend, God wants to renew your way of thinking. It's going to happen very, very slow if all you do is open your Bible on Sundays. We need to read the Bible every day. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You would not go a day without feeding yourself physically. My friend, we go days, sometimes weeks, without feeding ourselves spiritually. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The next way we renew our thinking when we read the Bible is meditation on Scripture. Meditation on scripture. Meditation, please listen, is more than just reading. Yes, read your Bible every day. But I encourage you to get all by yourself in a room where there's no distractions. As you read the Bible, read it slowly. And allow the Spirit of God who lives inside you to teach you and guide you and reveal truth to you. The word meditation means to ponder. It talks about to, com uh, to think about, to focus on. And so when you read the Bible, sometimes we read through it real fast, say, I've done my duty for today, but that's not enough. Yes, read it. Begin to meditate, contemplate on it. What is God trying to tell me? 
Spirit of God, teach me. That's his job. Psalm 119, 97. David said, oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. He also said in Psalm 1, 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. So I should read my Bible every day. I'm trying to renew the way I think and change my behavior, make me like Christ. I read the Bible every day, and when I read it, I pause and think about it as I read through it to meditate on it. And David said, I do it all the day. I do it day and night. Number three, the third thing we can do to change our minds, to renew our thinking, to make us like Christ, is not only the reading, meditation, but the application. Application of God's word. So many of us stop with reading and don't move forward. We need to meditate upon it and then seek to apply it to our lives. James 1, 2, 122, excuse me. James says to the Christian, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So many say, I'm a wonderful Christian. I go to church every Sunday to hear the Bible. Wonderful. Don't stop there. He says, be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. So many people deceive themselves now. I'm the best Christian I can be because I always hear God's word. Don't stop there. Hear it, meditate upon it, and then apply it to your life. All right. Close your Bibles, please. And look up here. A quick review, then I'm going to wrap it up this morning. We'll talk about the present aspect of our salvation. Remember, salvation has three stages, three aspects. The first one, it was past. That he which hath begun a good work in you. That happened when you trusted Christ. You were saved, past tense, from the penalty of your sin. But God is much more than that. Now he's saving you from the power of your sin. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. So what God started, he's not going to stop. He's going to keep on keeping on. Amen. He's not going to give up on me. But it says, we'll perform it until the day of Christ. That's the future aspect. So as a Christian, I can say, I have been saved from the penalty of my sin when I trusted Christ. But I am being saved from the power of my sin through the indwelling Christ. But one day I shall be saved from the very presence of sin when Christ returns. We're going to focus on that next week, so please don't miss next week. But anyway, I want to go to the first aspect, and we'll conclude with that. Talking about salvation uh, from the penalty of sin. And that also occurs by the renewing of your mind. For example, listen to this verse, please. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. In other words, you know when we need to change our way of thinking for salvation called repentance? How many of you at one time thought you had to be good to go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? You thought you had to do good things and maybe to enter God's presence. That's a common thing. But you had to repent. Change your mind from that way of thinking. That's a way that seems right unto man. But then there are the ways of death. If you're here today and you think being good gets you to heaven, my friend, that will lead you to death and hell. But my friend, you need to have your mind changed. And it comes from God's word. A verse we began with last week I want to conclude with, and the verse is on the screen, a verse many of you know. But this verse tells us how we are saved, but also tells us how we're not saved. 
Look at it on the screen, and we'll close. First of all, how a sinner saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, in that not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It has three positive, three ways a man is saved. First of all, by grace. How many like grace? Grace is God's favor given to us freely. It is unmerited, undeserved favor. If you and I got what we deserved, we'd all go to hell. Because we all have sinned. We've all broken God's laws, commandments. We've all done things wrong. And the penalty of our sin is death. But God, in his mercy and favor, he wants to save us. For by grace are you saved. But also it says through what? Faith. Faith is dependence and trust in Christ our Savior. Listen to me. Faith is not doing. It's resting upon that which is done. When I realize I'm a sinner, I can't save myself. And by faith, I rest upon the finished work of Christ upon the cross. God will save me. For by grace you're saved through faith. And the third positive, it's a gift from God. How many like gifts? I love gifts. <laughs> I look forward to a birthday or Christmas to see my name on a beautiful rat present. My friend, salvation is a gift. It costs you nothing. It costs God everything. It costs him the death of his son. And because of the sacrifice Christ made through on the cross, God says, here's my forgiveness. Here's a home in my heaven. Here's a relationship with me. It's yours free. All you have to do is receive it. But to as many as received him, he's the gift. To them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the positive is by grace through faith, the gift of God. Now, how are we not saved? Here's where the confusion lies. It says in the middle part of verse 8, it's not of yourselves. For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourself. Any merit, deeds, efforts, or works you do does not enter into your salvation. It's not of yourself. And the next one, verse 9, it's not of works. The salvation that God offers freely is not attained by something I do myself. It's not achieved by my works, lest any man should boast. So the first aspect of salvation from sin's penalty is a gift God offers to you freely. Your part is to receive it by faith. But now that you're saved, my friend, salvation is more than just a fire escape. <laughs> He's still working. He's working on me all the time. And the goal is what? To make me just like Jesus. And I hope that, he, uh, that you understand God's wonderful salvation. Next week, we're we'll talk about the third aspect, being saved from the very presence of sin. And that will occur when Christ returns. Let's bow together, please. As the heads are bowed and eyes are closed, this morning I've been speaking to, the primary to those that are saved, helping you understand this wonderful salvation that God's given to you. God's wonderful salvation. His salvation didn't end when you trusted Christ. It just began. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. So God's still working. Though he accomplished the salvation of sin's penalty, he is now presently trying to save you and help you against sin's power. Sin wants to control you. Sin wants to dominate your life and ruin your life. But his salvation is more than just from his penalty, but also his power. 
And we saw at the very end of the message, he does that. He trained, the goal of that is to make us like Christ and transform the image of the Son, and that's accomplished by renewing our minds. That is accomplished by reading, meditating, and applying the Word of God. So Christian, I want to encourage you to conclude our service. Maybe either for a, fre- for a new first time today, or fresh and new, commit yourself as a believer to spend time in God's Word, to get under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. These are tools God uses to change you, to transform you, and do your part. Read the Bible every day, meditate upon it, and then apply it to your life. And I encourage you right now as we close in prayer, why not commit yourself to do that? With the Lord's help, set aside time to be in His Word that you might renew your mind, that you might be transformed into the image of his dear son. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation free. And Lord, maybe there's somebody here today, either watching my live stream, who's never received your free gift of salvation. They never experienced forgiveness of sin and have a home in heaven. And they can do it right now. So right where you sit, whether you're in this auditorium or watching my live stream, if you never received God's free gift of eternal life, why not do it right now? Again, it's a gift given to you. It's by his grace accomplished through your faith, your dependence upon Christ. And my friend, you can do it right now. You can talk to the true and living God and receive his gift of eternal life and receive his son as your savior. The Bible said, he that hath the son hath life. He that hath not the son of God hath not life. So if you would receive Christ as Savior today, heaven would become your home. You'll receive his salvation. Say, Pastor, I like to do that. I never quite understood that until today. I want to trust Christ to be my Savior. If that's your desire, why not tell God that? In your own thoughts, in your own mind, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Just say, Dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe your son Jesus was punished in my place. When he died on the cross, he died there for me. In my behalf, in my stead, he died, was buried, and he rose again. And right here today, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you trust Christ this morning? If you did, I'd like to know that. I want to pray for you. I'm going to close in prayer in one moment. But I'd like to include all those who made that decision today. So if that made sense to you and for the first time you received Christ to be your Savior, right where you're at, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you simply raise your hand so I can pray for you. You know it all? Pastor, here's my hand. I trust Christ. Would you please pray for me? Anyone at all? Father in heaven, sister one, raise your hand. I hope that means each one has already made that decision. We're so grateful for your wonderful salvation that had a beginning, continue in the present, and one day will be concluded in the future. So help us rejoice again in the salvation we have as your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.